Everybody, how are you? I'm welcome to the Snap No Tap podcast. Of course, I'm Tony Cicchini with Joe Cardinal, and uh, I guess I might as well introduce today's special guest. Many of you know who he is. I call him Special K because he's a special guy, not only in the gym but outside of the gym. Uh, I miss him since he left Chicago for greener pastures, and he is one of the stars of the Snap No Tap video series, so it's fitting to have him here, the legendary Costa Special K Chorus. Welcome, Costa. Thanks, Tony. I miss you guys so much. You have no idea. I really miss yeah. training at the old gym, too, and uh, with Kevin and all the old crew, uh, but it's uh, great to be here again, seeing you on video, at least. Yeah, it's great to see you. You look great. Uh, you know, uh, we'll get into what you've been doing, because you kind of shared a little bit about it, but before we started filming, but I'll let you uh, discuss all of that. Um, but uh, before we go into this, uh, I, I always like to give a shout out when it's important. And uh, the other day, about a week ago, I lost a good friend. And he's also my auto mechanic. And uh, believe it or not, on the corner of my street. And I went to the wake on Friday Steve Silvato, uh, 51, uh, 52 years old, and just, oh. yeah, he, he uh, healed over from a, uh, uh, an aneurysm, which, you know, I had one of those, and luckily I survived, but he did not. Uh, it's a shock. Everybody's in, in shock, and uh, it's just terrible. You know, and his partner came over, his business partner, John, came over to my house, yeah, Friday and you know told me uh I heard I heard I heard a hot rod and I look out the window and I see John's hot rod and I, I come out and he comes up on my stoop and he's like in tears. I'm like, uh oh. And uh, yeah, it was a shame. Um and basically what had happened was he was Steve was complaining of a headache and and, and he told him you gotta get to the hospital. And I guess they both went together um, to the emergency room over here. And uh, while he was waiting to be seen, he had a seizure. And when he seized, well, see, and I went through all of this stuff. So w when he had this seizure, he fell, he hit his head, and that burst that aneurysm. So they had a life, life flight him to another hospital where they had a surgeon that could deal with this. And... Um, Apparently he went through the surgery, but he came out of it brain dead, never regained consciousness. And that was the end of it. And uh, it's 
just tragic, you know. Uh, he had a great life. Great guy. I never seen this guy get mad at anything, you know. Um, especially when I show up with, with bad news about my car, he never got mad. My cars tend to be, well, he was working on my one hot rod that I had to end up selling the, the cutlass. Everything with me is a project, all right? It's never like, you know, change the oil and spark plugs, you know. Um, and he never, you know, he was just always a great guy. So I just want to shout out and say it's, I, you know, I, I miss you already. And it, you know, you can be here today. You can be gone tomorrow. It, you just, you just don't know. So um, I just wanted to get that out. And that tally of mine keeps going. It's about 63 people now that have passed away since December of 2012. And not all of them were elderly, you know, almost half of them were right around my age. So it's, but anyhow, outside of all of that, before we get into Costa, the world wants to know, how are you doing, Joe Cardinal? I'm doing great. Actually, I have uh, good news to, to report on the family front. Um, Haley was in New York, my daughter, and she ran the triathlon there this morning. And I, I should get, I think she came in in the top 300 overall. So we'll get some of her specifics, like for her age group and when women and things or whatever she placed. Um, so that's huge news for us. Uh, yeah, this is well, her- the other huge news about her. I don't think you've shared this. Oh, I don't. Yeah, she's engaged to be married. So that's that. That's very exciting. That's a few weeks old now. So it's funny how you move on. You forget about that. But yeah, I haven't said anything about that. So uh, I got to give her boyfriend credit. He did a great job, uh, kind of did the ideal proposal. He pulled it off, surprised, and she was in tears. Actually, she... Yeah, she got a hold of us when you and I were in a bar. We had a, we were drinking when she called in tears, you know, and so we were able to get a shot for her. But yeah, she's back. She's back training, working out. Um, they canceled the swim there. I don't know any of the details. I was supposed to be in New York with her, but a friend had a wedding. Uh, he got remarried yesterday, so we ended up staying local. But the last two triathlons, so she's an, originally a swimmer. Um, she swam in college. She did run hurdles as well, so she's definitely has the kind of multi-sport discipline thing, but um, she really gets way ahead on the swim because most people are runners who then transition to triathletes, uh, but they struggle in the water and she's just like a fish, you know? So she usually gets way ahead of everybody in the water. In the last two, she did the Chicago one and the New York one. And both times because of water conditions, they've canceled the swim. So what they end up doing is you end up running that distance. So it's like a run, bike, run. It changes from a triathlon but she still was able to do well, but you know, it took away her, one of her strengths, honestly, but either way, that was the, hot off the presses this morning. That was some big news for the family. So uh, yet again, she delivers. So yeah, looking good today. Great. Congratulations. Tell Thank her you. I said, yes. Tell her I said, congratulations. I will for sure. Yeah. So let's get right into Costa Cardas, man. Come on, buddy. What's up? Uh, we're doing good out here. So, um, Forever, for whoever doesn't know, I live out by Denver, Colorado. I had Jason Bender visit me once or twice uh, that you had on the podcast. Close friend. Been out here since 2013. So eight, that, long, right? eight, that long, Tony. So we're going on eight years in September. Mid-September is the eight-year anniversary of my move out here. So it's been quite a while. Um, when I left you guys, we're still at the old gym. Yeah. Uh, at the Kings. Um, but you know, out here, other than that, other than missing the training, it's great, great weather, good economy, 
don't have to deal with the uh, inner workings of Chicago. Um, so it, it's been a happy life out here. Good for the kids. It's a gorgeous state. I got I got to visit it just uh, I think last summer. Uh, just kind of a, it was one of the states that in Chicago you could travel to because of whatever the COVID numbers were, and you could come back in and not have to quarantine. Sure. So we spent a two weeks there, and man. We we put you know, a few thousand miles on the rental car. We, we landed in Denver and then drove to all the corners. We hit like four national parks. I mean, that says something about a, a state. If it had in one state, you can get like four national parks like that, you know, and they're all different. I mean, it's amazing the diversity in Colorado. I mean, you've got beautiful mountains and forests and canyons. Um, I don't know, like, I, I'm sure, imagine you've been there eight years or whatever. You've probably checked it out all over. And Colorado's a cool town, a lot of cool architecture there. Colorado, what town? Denver. Denver. Denver, he means. Yeah, that's sure. Denver. <laughs> yeah. The Capitol building alone, people just go to see it. Yeah, it's, it's something else. So, yeah, I, I can understand why you wouldn't want to come back. Well, we filmed the uh, Snap No Tap out there. We flew into Denver. Well, Costa was living here at the time, but we flew into Denver, and then the thing was filmed in, in Boulder, Colorado. Um, but we didn't really get to see any of it because – I mean, we were shot after, after yeah, I was we all were, beat up. I we was, were beat up. Yeah. It was and eight, I, nine hours of filming, and it was really cold and snowy yeah, at the time. Shitty weather, and I had all these terrible injuries, so I spent most of the time in the hot tub back at the motel room. All we would do is go out and get something to eat and then go straight to the room. Um, but, uh, you know, it was uh, – so I, I mean, that's it. I mean, I, I saw the mountains, but just when we were driving, uh, what I found uh, – Difficult for me, at least this is in Boulder. There's no such things as neighborhoods. There was no ethnicity. All the restaurants were like fast food, right? There, were, I never saw any established kind of restaurants. Now, I'm not saying they're not there. I'm just saying that we didn't see it. Um, so the, it would. It's a different thing than I'm used to. The the food here is not anywhere close to what you can get in Chicago. Chicago is world class yeah. um, when it comes to that. Uh, all the little uh, ethnic spots, like you mentioned, Greek, Italian, Polish, Czech, Lithuanian, Puerto Rican, anything you can think of, you can get in Chicago at top quality. Here, yeah, we don't have that. Um, it's a lot harder. I still haven't found Greek food. I have to actually make stuff myself. Um, and even in Chicago, I had a tough time with most of the places since I know what it's supposed to taste like. And what I expect, I have a little bit of higher standard, but at least you can find it here. There's just no way. Forget it. I don't even try anymore. Haley said she had a similar problem when she lived in Boston for a couple of years, that they just didn't have the diversity of food that she was used to from Chicago. We, we are pretty spoiled here for that, at least. I'm surprised um, to hear that about Boston. Yeah, I, I would think so, too. It's a huge, you know, kind of established, you know, world-class city but i guess just ethnically it's not as you know it's it's definitely geared more towards you know people moving in and out for like the, the various colleges and things and but you couldn't even just find she said like neighborhood mexican like you know in, in chicago every neighborhood has like a good pizza parlor and a good mexican place you know just even if it's just a, a dive mexican where you can get some tacos she said it was like either you either had chain stuff like chipotle or then some super high-end fancy mexican but there was no just go to like your standard Mexican. i want to get some tacos thing and she's like, how can I live someplace that I can't do that regularly? You know, that's yeah, the down and dirty, best tasting stuff you'll ever get. Right. 
I'm so, um, a couple of years back when I brought the kids over to, well, we went to Milwaukee to visit my in-laws and uh, we stopped in Chicago to take the kids by the uh, uh, Navy pier. There's a little old man right at the end of it. He had a little tackle stand and they were probably the best tackle stands I uh, tackles I had in the past, what, seven years. I had to fly back to get it. <laughs> it was just <laughs> right, right. a little, he was in a little box, maybe three by three, you know, but the best thing you'll ever have. Yeah. Now yeah, that's, you know, when, when I moved, uh, when I initially moved from Cleveland to Chicago, I was 23 years old and, you know, I moved and Chicago is very similar to Cleveland. Joe knows that now with the ethnicity and all of that. It's, it's identical really, but you, 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 you miss things yet. You're not prepared to miss, you know, like I miss some of the food in Cleveland. I still do the, the certain pizzas, the Mr. Heroes, uh, you know, Roman burger, the uh, chili dogs, the corn, uh, the uh, the uh, corn beef, uh, things like that. I miss my, the barbers that I had. You know, your your, your auto mechanics, your, all that, the, the newscasters. It takes you know, it takes a while to adjust. And it was okay in in Chicago because food wise, I mean, Chicago is such a big city. You know, it it doesn't have the Roman burger or anything, but you know, pretty much everything. I got, I got used to, but it would be difficult for me to leave Chicago unless I moved back to Cleveland. It would be difficult because of, of all of this that I'm, that I'm used to. And I really enjoy that kind of stuff, the food and the culture and everything. Yeah. Now, speaking about moves, I, I don't know much about your life story, but obviously you, you immigrated here, right? So can tell me your, where, where did you start from? When did you come over? I did. So I moved back to the U S at 18 years old to go to school um, we, my, my parents met in Chicago, actually. Hmm. So there was a little bit of a back and forth. Um, they were first generation, uh, immigrants to Chicago and, you know, they live in a few other places in the U S but after they met and then when my mom got pregnant with me, uh, my grandfather at the time, uh, got really sick, uh, with cancer, uh, my mom's dad. So she wanted to go and see him. So I ended up getting, being born in Greece, in my hometown, Kalamata, um, essentially by accident. Otherwise, if my grandfather wasn't ever sick, I'd be born in Chicago. Um, and then well, a couple more places they moved around when I was a little kid, uh, Houston, then L.A., and that was the last place uh, they gave up, decided, okay, we're done with the U.S., let's go back home. So I was um, eight years old at the time, finished second grade here in the U.S., and we moved back. Went through high school there great life for a kid uh, living in a small town in Greece, about 50,000 people. So similar in size to Boulder, uh, water on one side, surrounded by mountains all around, very safe, um, very low levels of, you know, just like petty crime, that sort of thing. Um, and then when I turned 18, I decided, Hey, time to see the world. And uh, I decided on Chicago, mostly because we still had family friends and, some connection for me to go to and not show up at a town where I know literally no one, but there's a few people that if I need something, they might be able to help out. Um, the, the plan for me was to just to stay, you know, four or five years, finish college and move back. But, you know, life happens, you know, things change. Uh, Greece went through a lot of troubling times economically. Um, and then every year I was thinking maybe it's time to go back. I would look at things and, 
it just wouldn't make sense for me at the time. And I'm like, okay, let's push it back a little bit more and let's stay here instead. And then wife and kids. And now for me to take them back there and start over in the country with limited means, essentially, and really tough uh, economy, it makes no sense. So um, I'm pretty much staying here and I'll go visit Greece once in a great while um, just to see family and vacation a little bit, which is perfect for that. But I'm here now. When did you... Oh, I was just going to ask, when did you start training? Were you were you training in Greece growing up? I was training in Greece. So and I, I was even training in L.A. as a little kid. So I started with a um, uh, some kind of Taekwondo. Um, I remember the, uh, the old Korean uh, uh, master had pictures with Chuck Norris on there. And I love my high flying kicks. And I was watching all the Kung Fu movies. And, you know, like any little kid, I you know, wanted to be a ninja. So I was jumping off tables, uh, jumping off kitchen counters trying to do high flying stuff, busted my head open three, four times on the <laughs> kitchen counters. I, I have a, a gap where hair doesn't grow here. That was just gushing blood. And my mom was wearing a white t-shirt at the time. I just went and sat on her lap after she heard the loud bang. When I took down half the cabinets in the kitchen from climbing, like, what, what, what was that? She was taking a nap, just laying back. I'm like, Oh, nothing, mom. I'm fine. And I just went and sat there, you know, my head hurting. And then when I got up, she, her shirt had turned red. Um, <laughs> so I, I was a little bit rambunctious, that kind of stuff. Um, but then once you moved back to Greece, I mean, that, there was kind of a gap there. Um, you know, third grade, fourth, there wasn't a lot of martial arts in my hometown. Um, a couple of karate schools, a taekwondo school, but I got more involved with you know, soccer, uh, le- learning how to play that. My dad played uh, soccer semi-pro, even in New York. Um Oh. as an immigrant um so he always wanted me to to learn that and I got to be pretty good at it and it was really fun and created a lot of memories and a lot of friendships too so as a kid new in the neighborhood in a town um the team sports really uh allowed me to make new friends and you know while I spoke Greek or I I should say I understood it and was able to speak it I had an accent, so I got made fun of and bullied a little bit by the local kids. Um, so being with them constantly and playing and all that and showing a little bit of athletic ability helped me with that a lot. Um, but then, you know, the bug was there. So around 10, 11 years old, I started you know, buying all the black belt magazines and the local, you know, Greek black belt type uh, magazines and looking through and trying to figure out, okay, you know, so I want to do this. So I, I found a couple of, it was a, a Shotokan karate school. I did a little bit. Um, and then uh, uh, Muay Thai, you started hearing things about Muay Thai. So I'm like, okay, I got to find something similar to that. So there was a, a kickboxing uh, coach that taught out of a uh, uh, lifting gym. They had like a bag and a little bit of space. Uh, hooked up with that guy. He left a lot to be desired as far as training. And then I was lucky enough that my small town had a guy uh, named uh, Dimitris Gladzakos, um, who, I mean, if he was in the U.S., he'd, he'd be top-notch trainer. Um, he was former Special Forces, so a lot of help with that kind of stuff and, and still is. Um, but he was actually on the History Channel um, a few years back uh, when they were doing that travel uh, program where they're they went to different countries and showed off different martial arts. Mm-hmm. Um, he was for the Greek side. Um, 
So he had experience in, in various hearts, and he brought Muay Thai to Kalamata. Uh, at the time, there was another three or four guys uh, maybe in Greece doing it. Um, so he brought that, and then around 1990, I want to say 96, 97, maybe about a year or so change, and some change before I, I moved back to the U.S. is when he started bringing uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, to Greece as well. So he, he was essentially the first guy to bring grappling um, of any style to Greece. Uh, so I had that. Obviously, it was in his infancy. Didn't get exposed as much. Uh, but he also had, you know, gra- other styles of grappling training and all that. So it, it was, I mean, I super lucked out there. Um, and then moved to the U.S., um, met Bender, Jason, at a uh, at Carlson Gracie's, uh, along with a whole bunch of other stuff. And then um, I was really struggling with the fact that I, I didn't really have the American wrestling style background. And you had guys in there that could just take you down over and over and over and control you with their wrestling that, you know, just wrestled in high school. You know, nothing amazing. Even though there was a couple of guys, you know, Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, even at Carlson Gracie's. Um, I really struggled and I was trying to get them to teach me stuff. And I don't know if they they didn't have the time, maybe they felt like they'd be, uh, disrespectful towards the school if they're teaching me stuff on the side, but I had a hard time finding any type of wrestling. Um, cause I, I could tell that the controls are different, right? Um, cause even when I hit blue belt, it if a guy came in fresh and he just had a couple of years of wrestling, couldn't deal with it. So I kept on looking and looking and looking. I'm going to find somebody to teach me some wrestling. And I was on a forum online asking around, trying to like, hey, is there any wrestling in Chicago anywhere nearby? I live on the north side. And I met this weird dude named Bruce Lee, who I thought I thought it was a fake name. <laughs> and he invited me over. Um, I think it was that uh, MMA.TV, the underground forum or something where we uh, made the initial contact and uh, he invited me out to uh, um, I think it was a tool and die shop the first time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you weren't around Tony that, that day. Um, it was Bruce, uh, Javier. And I, I want to say Martin was there too. It was just training. And uh, at the end, I finally, after getting my ass kicked, obviously, and you know, Bruce showing me all this stuff and, teaching me and helping me out I kept on pushing Bruce like what's your name what's your name what's your name why won't you tell me your real name I thought he was messing with me I thought it was just a a code name for a forum but uh, that was my initial um, uh, entry into catch wrestling that's cool you know I think a lot of uh, people who didn't wrestle in school had that you know even here in the U.S. run into that same problem where it's very hard to get you know, once you're out of the school system, you know, like, let's say you graduated, say, well, how can I learn wrestling? Because it's, it's so geared towards school and competition that, you know, it's, I think that's changing a lot now. I think it's, it's, there's people who are realizing there's a market for it to teach just, you know, wrestling to people who are, you know, wanting to learn it as a martial art, you know, or as to supplement their martial arts. I think, you know, uh, that has changed a little bit over time, but yeah. And a lot of times there are people who are like, they wrestled in school, but I don't think they ever thought about like, I think the one thing in martial arts is you're always kind of thinking of the next generation. Like if you're, if you're with it enough, 
you tend to start to think like an instructor, like how would I teach this or how do I pass this on? But I don't know if, you know, a lot of guys I've met who wrestled in school or whatever, not, I don't know if they necessarily have that in their mind. It's just kind of like the sport they played. You know, it's like if you play soccer, you may not want to be a soccer coach, you know? And so sure. I feel like maybe that's what happens. So a lot of times when you're kind of going to them, hey, can you show me something? It, it doesn't, it, 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 sometimes it's, I think they're almost surprised, you know? But it well, is. It's very Right, because wrestling is set up differently. Uh, like martial arts school is all about personal, like really, really close instruction and, you know, you, you move up the ranks and, you know, you start instructing the uh, lesser belts and, and all of that. Wrestling's not like that. You know, um, you, you got, I mean, if you wrestle, let's just stay, say like high school, uh, you know, at, at best you have four years. Some guys don't even have that. Yeah. And you're right. It's, it's more about, <clears throat> you're there to not learn. You're not there to learn the style of wrestling. Okay. You're not there to learn every technique in the history of wrestling. You're there to just get better at what you do. So um, you may not be exposed to a lot of techniques that, um, you know, the coach is just going to make you do what you can do. So, yeah, it's a whole different um, vibe. It, it, it is than, than, than most martial arts. And, again, I'm speaking generally. There's probably wrestling programs that are a little more educational. but Sure. Yeah, it, and and my, my kind of basic understanding, I mean, obviously I didn't go to high school here, but the variation in – coaching ability is huge as well i mean you have guys that really wrestle college and all that and then some smaller programs where it's just a dad uh that's able to go and and coach a few hours a week uh to keep that team going um because it happens with other sports all the time too i know locally i mean a couple of soccer clubs got started by dads and you know they, they weren't anything special playing soccer so they can only teach so much right i believe that bruce's coach one of his coaches never wrestled a day in his life um he just was book learned and you know studied that way which is fine i mean that you know um you know that's just even some sometimes in boxing is like that not every trainer not every boxing trainer actually ever even put on a pair of gloves uh i don't think ray arcel ever fought i i could be wrong but i don't think he did uh whatever it doesn't matter but yeah i get your point but yeah, I think there was a time when you first started, I was in and out of the hospital. Um, but I wasn't, you know, I had that little brain stuff and uh, uh, round number two of that. And I heard about you. And then when I got to meet you, it was like, we were uh, joined at the hip and then we started working out, you know, and everything was cool. And, uh, you know, but the thing that you suffered from back then was it was hard for you to get in condition because of your back. You had like bad back problems like I did, but yours, um, but you're, you're a gifted guy, you know, you're uh, uh, one of the guys that I endorse, you know, because you, you, you know, and uh, you're a double wrist lock killer. That's, that's your move. <laughs> and um, yeah, I just, I just, you know, I miss you. I, I wish you were still here. Cause you know, we, we thought, we've thought a lot alike in, in the way we approach um, fighting and what have you. Uh, whereas, you know, that's just kind of hard to find. Yeah. Yeah. That double wrist lock, it, it, it has to be probably my favorite uh, move there is um, out there. Double wrist locks. And uh, I've been really working on that front front choke and front face lock uh, combo as much as possible. Finally getting that down <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> where, it's, it's, where I can actually pull it off uh, and some step over stuff. That's come that's coming along nicely. 
Um, my training has been, uh, you know, haphazard as usual. Um, getting to the gym, you know, depending on what kind of schedule I'm keeping with work and kids has been tough, but you know, I always make time at the house, um, hitting my hip ice and sit outs and all that stuff. Not as much sprawling and jumping. Uh, cause that typically is what affects my back the most. And very recently I, I just finished this, uh, you know, program, I guess you call it. it was a 10 week of, uh, um, decompression for my, uh, for my vertebrae. So I was just getting, uh, hooked up on my, around my hip and they're, they're yanking the spine apart. So it moved my vertebrae back a good, uh, a good quarter inch, which represents about 50% improvement there. You know, I was born with stenosis and I had the first time that I remember having a back problem was I was roughly 16 years old and my back went out. I mean, I'm like, Oh man, what is this? And it, and it uh, felt better the next day. And so in essence, it was happening like once a year that that would happen. Now I was putting my body, you know, with the re the wrestling, actually, if it wasn't for the wrestling, I probably wouldn't been able, able to do anything else. I mean, it actually helped me to the, the only thing later on in life, I can't do the bridges because that bending backwards is what, you know, the back arch is what ruins it for me, um, my back. But, um, and then when I was lifting super heavy, like a lot of heavy weight, my back would go out a lot. Uh, so once I laid off lifting super heavy, I mean, common sense, you know, my right. back, my back felt better, but every so often, you know, I still, I still get it. I'll always have it. There's really nothing you can do about it. Um, but for those people out there that are back sufferers, what you got to watch out for is you you compensate. And therefore, in order to not have your back hurt, you may walk or move differently. And now you're putting strain on other things. Like I got bad hips. I broke my hip three times. I got knees, everything. So you have to watch out for that. Um, you know, it's just, it's just tough, but you know, I'm, you and I, we've, we've gotten through it. When the shit gets too bad and you can't move, you just quit. You just stop, you rest, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I've had my first, uh, uh, episode with my back. I think I was around 13 and that's when we found out what I had. Um, so I have a, uh, slipped vertebrae. Essentially the pars joints have broken. Uh, it's called spondylolisthesis and spondylolisthesis. So it's a combo. The par joints is broken and the L5 has slid in towards basically my stomach. Um, so it's mm. off its actual basis. Um, and it was off about halfway. Um, and then 10 weeks ago, when I first went to that uh, uh, Rock Creek and Spine here, um, I compared my x-rays that I took 10 weeks ago versus the ones that I had from 13. Um, and all the working out and training, despite the pains that I went through, it actually stabilized it there. There was no difference um, other than a shift to the left, which is what caused the shutoff of that nerve. And I have drop foot on the left leg, so I can't control the leg up and down or the foot, I should say. Um, so now with this shift back, I mean, for 10 weeks, I, I stopped training, essentially, just walking uh, 30, 40 minutes a day. And some light upper body stuff, neck, grip, that sort of thing. Um, and some pulling, especially the hanging from the bar and the rings. But, you know, now I'm at a point where I can pick it up again, uh, get all the muscles. Now that they're 
slowly getting used to the new position, get them tight again so it doesn't move back to where it was. And uh, hopefully we'll have a, a renaissance at 40. and <laughs> The body can start doing stuff. You never know. But you know me, yeah, I'll keep know. pushing. Well, you got to keep, you know, you do have to try. I, I don't know if I've never personally met, nor have I ever heard of anybody that got to, you know, like high level of athletics that didn't have injuries or, or, or something, you know? Uh, and I know a lot of, let's call them couch potatoes for lack of a better term, people who really never did much. And they're like, look, you guys, you know, you, you, you athletes, you're always banged up. You're always injured. And, you know, you can't argue with them uh, cause they're correct. You know, we do have these things, but it's just, for me, it was always the quality of life. I excel. I, I, I hit a world-class level at what I was doing and not a lot of people can say they can do that. And it, it's, I've reaped benefits beyond just the physical, you know, a lot of mental uh, benefits. And, uh, you know, there's, there's something to say to that. Now, with the head trauma, that's something you can't play with. Uh, and that's why I, I, you know, watch when you have an aneurysm. And like I said, my first one was, well, my only one was in 93. But subsequently, I had, you know, those issues when I met you, uh, post concussion syndrome and all of that jazz and like harking back to steve the mechanic that passed away you know that if your back goes or you blow your arm out or you break your hip you can have surgery you can recover but if something happens to your head you could die on the spot so um you know i had to quit all this fighting shit you know couldn't do things because of that brain so uh the only time i like to you know if i if i'm getting into a self-defense situation it doesn't matter because you know, I got to defend myself one way, one way or the other, but it's normally, it's sound to just heal. And yeah, with your back or my back or Joe has injuries too. Everybody has injuries. Bender had them. Joe Dankowski had them, uh, surgeries and stuff. You just got to set it back, man. You got to just heal. Let it heal. And uh, in the meantime, develop your, study your theory you know, learn whatever it is that you need to learn, uh, no matter what style you're doing, or even if you're not even in, in athletics, but you had an accident, just don't let your mind go to mush, you know, read, study, learn. Oh, definitely. I mean, it, and, and as much as you harp on it, I don't think people still really realize how much better you can get sometimes, even not training physically but training mentally and going through those scenarios in your head and practicing the move in your head. Absolutely. They trying to figure out, trying to visualize almost like you're watching video, like, Oh, when I do this move, I, I make this mistake and visualize yourself doing it correctly over and over. You know, I love the, the hip heist getting off my back, right? It's something I practice all the time, but I practiced it even more in my head just sitting there I'm like okay how is tony doing it and i can't do it why cannot get can i get myself up off the ground and i had a problem with it in the beginning it, it wasn't clicking it clicked in my head first before it clicked in my body well you know that's important it's got to click in your head because if it's just if you're just using your body you're going to have a problem now when i when i was doing music playing music like not the drums so much with jazz accordion i would just playing really, you know, fast notes and shit, mm -hmm. which meant nothing, just scales and everything. And my, my, my Ronnie Moon, my instructor told me, 
you have to educate your fingers. Okay. And, and you just can't just be playing like, you know, random. You got to repeat. And how he did it was I did, I did something. He says, I'll do that again. Well, I couldn't because I didn't remember what I did. I was just doing it. It wasn't a thought in my head. So in jazz, what they teach you a lot is to sing or hum um, the notes. So you so you can immediately repeat it. And that's how it is what we do it here with the wrestling or fighting. You can't just you're, you have to hear, you have to have it up here and transmit it, you know, to your muscles. Otherwise, you're just going to be doing sloppy, uh, poor technique and, and bullshit like that. Uh, but also think about it like an engineer, okay? Uh, say a structural engineer or whatever it is. These guys don't actually do, okay? They're not going on a site and building, right? They're all mathematics and they're all design and things like that. They're not hands-on, so to speak. Some may be, but generally they're not. It's all up here first. And then from here, it gets to a piece of paper. From that piece of paper, it gets to whoever and blah, blah, blah. And that's how you have to be with your training, with the fighting. It's got to start up here. It all has to be up here. And then everything else is cake, man. So what would you say, Costa, is your kind of your mix of martial arts styles? It seems like you obviously have a very wide ranging exposure to different systems. Like, you know, I'm sure that changes from time to time, but like, what's your approach, you know, as far as, I don't know how you could describe it. Um, so, I mean, my, my heaviest influence has to be, you know, Tony for the grappling um, and part of the striking and then Muay Thai for my striking. Um Initially, I, mean, I kind of got steeped into that. So I always loved my my straight punches, my elbows, the clinch work, upper body, um, and then combining that with the catch wrestling by far. Um, takedowns, I, I like the Tony approach. Swift hook to the jaw. <laughs> um, I've avoided, I mean, I started wrestling, you know, later in life. Uh, obviously, it was what, almost 20 years old um, when I hooked up with Bruce and Tony. Um, developing a, a fast, good shot. Um, while technically uh, it's proficient, it's still slow. Knees don't work as much. Um, things hurt. Um, so I prefer upper body entanglements as much as possible. Um, you know, I guess Greco style, if we're going to, you know, put it in a box. It seems um, appropriate. Yeah. Um, and it seems more appropriate for self-defense scenarios. I don't plan on getting face planted, sprawled on by somebody into a, into the concrete. I'd rather use my sprawl as a weapon um, the way Tony shows us. Right. Um, and avoid getting underneath somebody because you, you don't know what the guy knows either. Right. So once we have, you know, concrete, uh, if you're in a bar, you have all these other weapons. I want to avoid being down low where, I lose that mobility. Um, so, you know, striking is, is paramount, you know, and I keep that simple. Um, I, I'm not as fast as Tony is with his, with my hands. Um, but, you know, learning angles helps you eliminate that disadvantage, right? Because if my angle is correct, if I can get the angle on the guy, I can reach him faster than he can reach me. 
because he has to turn around and face me, right? Um, and I was taught that by a, an older boxer as a, as a kid too, even at the uh, Muay Thai school in Greece, right? Moving side to side, not just standing in front, exchanging in the pocket, especially if you're slower, right? Get your angle, hit him that way. It, it meshed right in with Bruce and Tony teaching me the same thing for takedowns. You know, I had a slow shot and I'm kept on trying to do a double leg on somebody and not working. Once they finally drilled into my head to, hey, move off the straight line a little bit, you get a little bit closer. You bypass all the hand fighting, essentially, because their hands are over here and you're on their side. Boom, you can take your shot, right? And it applies to everything in fighting. So you can use those teachings and for any style that you're doing, right? You, you can incorporate that. So for me, ba basic strikes, lots of catch, even standing, our double wrist locks, our front chokes, avoiding the ground as much as possible. But when I'm there, ending it as quickly as I can, that really what it comes down to for me. That's interesting because you have pretty much the same approach. You know, that's how I was, you know, the uh, distance and angles is in working with that is, is so important. Uh, and not being afraid to be within striking range. You know, a lot of guys want to be way out here, get in close. But if you know what you're doing and you got a lot of movement, the guy can't figure you out. See, I wasn't the world's greatest takedown guy either. I mean, I did what I did because I was quick. So I, I had my specific takedowns that I like to use. But these were important to me because I could strike. And, you know, in a street fight, especially that's first and foremost, that's what you're looking for. You know, you're not looking to, oh, I'm going to flop to my butt and see how this goes. You know, you're not, you're not thinking that, <laughs> you know, that's yeah, not at all. silly shit. Uh, but, but even, even, you know, even wrestling per se, got an interesting story to tell you guys, Kevin, uh, you know, God rest his soul. Four years ago, he passed away. I got killed. He had a buddy, uh, and his, the, the, you know, Kevin was a tool and die guy. So this guy showed up at the shop once, and uh, they were talking, and he had a son. This guy had a kid who had gone to the University of Michigan. He was a, he was a wrestler at the University of Michigan, and he was a damn good wrestler. So his father tells me this story that he got into it with a football player, a University of Michigan football player. And it, it became, it got to a fight. And you know what the wrestler did? Boom, boom, boom. Knocked the, knocked the guy, knocked the, rest, uh, the uh, football player, knocked him out. No wrestling, just boom, 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 through the hands and, and knocked the football player out. And, you know, and I smiled because this, I never got to meet this kid but he, he's thinking, you know, um, this is what you do. This is a fight. You know, this isn't a sport now. Uh, so it was kind of, you know, there was a guy that I wish I could have met just to talk about that story. Yeah, that, I mean, that's interesting. And you'll see some guys that just, you know, have it naturally. Did the kid do any boxing training or striking training or was that a natural response for him? That was his natural response because his father just said he was, you know, the kid was a wrestler. But, I mean, I don't know the kid, so I can't go into depth. But, yeah, no, he didn't – his father did not equate that he had any boxing training. But, you know, let's let's put it – hey, he did what he felt like he had to do. 
Uh, and I've known football players in the past that have trained boxing, you know, uh, and you would think in these are like uh, linemen, you would think, well, they'll just tackle somebody in a fight. No, they don't want to do that either. You know, they're, they're a little more astute. So they, they wanted to learn how to throw their hands and, you know, and deal with it like that, which is great. But yes, in a street fight, in a street scenario, I'm not saying you don't go to the ground. I mean, you don't know that may happen, but first line of attack and first line of thought in my mind has 100% always been striking. How can I take this guy out without getting, you know, engaged too deeply and worrying about somebody else jumping or, you know, what, what have you. So striking, not just punches, but kicks, knees, elbows, headbutts, all of that jazz. Headbutts especially. I love those. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Because, you know, you're in there, you know, you could, you know, uh, Roberto Duran used to do that. He would, he would hook like this, you know, Johnny Lira, the boxer um, mm-hmm. started this death thing. Um, he would tell me that, you know, cause he knew Duran and that was one of the things Duran would do when he would throw his hook, boom, he'd lean in with that head, you know, and sometimes, he, you know, a lot of times he'd get away with it, but sometimes he'd get caught, but yeah, boom, you lean in with that frigging head. Um, it's, it's a tool, you know, and you got to think this is like a bowling ball, you know, the, the, the weight of your head is close and, you know, you come in there with that, uh, and from all different angles, you know, you come up this or that, you know, just be sly and subtle with it. Uh, it's a devastating weapon. And it's a weapon that hasn't been utilized because in boxing, naturally, where boxers know all about it, I mean, maybe not to the you know, everything, but you're not allowed to use it. Right. So that would have been the, you can't do it in wrestling, any of these sports. So, um, it can be very sophisticated if you would take your time to learn how to do it. And it's a weapon that, that is very underutilized in the world, but boy, it's savage. I, what, there's only, only one that I know of other than us discussing it and, and practicing stuff like that, since, you know, we don't really have rules. Um, but as far as a rule-based uh, art, the only one that I can think of is the, um, Muay Thai variant, I guess, the Burmese uh, boxing, left way, I think oh, it's I pronounced. Yeah. Um, they use headbutts in the ring. It changes a lot because I've watched, I'm actually kind of fascinated with that too. I I have a Muay Thai background back in the 80s, actually. I trained at Degerberg too, but uh, seeing that and how they use it, how much it changes the game for, you know, like when you, when you lock up in the clinch, you're at a lot more risk for that if they can just duck and hit. And there's some, they have some really amazing knockouts and just, they use them in combinations with their elbows, you know, and knees and they set them up. It's, it's, yeah, it, it, it really changes the game a lot. And it, it's something I, I'd like to, you know, I think, yeah, I think it's funny how like you kind of forget about these tools sometimes if you're training in whatever combat sport, like, you know, Muay Thai or boxing or whatever uh, you really have to, it's, it, I said, seeing those left wave fights and stuff, I realized wow, how devastating of a thing that is and how we should, you should really incorporate that regularly in your training. Uh, so yeah, it'd be fascinating to learn some of their, you know, like setups and, and combinations with the head there, you know, but it, especially because they're doing it deliberately, you know, they're, they're, it's been something they practiced for a long time. Um, well, yeah. And a, with accidental the sneaky technique, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's sneaky and grappling as well, you know, and it's not, you know, uh, what we do, you know, what I do um, because it's there, uh, top and bottom, uh, on the ground, you can get it. And 
Um, and then you can simulate it too. You know, you can transmit your power. Uh, so what I mean is, let's say uh, your cross chest, for example, I, I'm on top. And, you know, to, to go down and try to headbutt him may not be, you know, uh, let's say it's just not practical. But you can transfer it. You know, you can add uh, by putting your forearm, you know, now you're creating more, you're closing the gap. And boom, you know, now you can, this transfers the power. Okay, uh, it's all about transmittal and, and things like that. And there, there's a lot to it, believe me. And, you know, it's not – you can't do it. Nobody does it because the gra you can't do anything like that in a grappling uh, tournament, whatever. So there's just so much that grappling exposes you to in a dangerous way that for the last 25 years people have been nonchalant about it. they gotten away with it because the rules prevent it. But – there's stuff out there, um, you know, that can really open your eyes and, and, and negate two years of training, <laughs> you know, because sure. you're like, shit, I never was, I never even knew this could happen. Well, it can happen. Yeah. And you're practicing specific scenarios or moves without considering the option that the other guy has of a headbutt. And now you're in a world of hurt. And again, two years wasted training something that, oh, it doesn't work when strikes are involved or when headbutts are involved. Yeah. Um, right. The UFC used to have headbutts, right? If I remember correctly, yep. Mark Corman yeah, used to yeah. just ground and pound with his head. Um, and they took that out. Right. And it changed the whole dynamic. Yeah. It used to be when they put someone in their guard, cause you could use your arms to kind of monitor their arms, but that left your head open, you know, like you only had two it was two and two, but how did you defend yourself? Mm -hmm. It was always kind of this, you know, I need to defend against three possible strikes if I'm on my back there. Not even to mention, like, obviously street stuff that could go, you know, to the groin or whatever. But, yeah, it was it was, it was was very dicey when you were put on your back. You had to be a super high-level guy not to take punishment back then. And I, I think it changed the game significantly, uh, you know, uh, you know, taking that out. And I, I really regret that. I mean, I get that. Obviously, <laughs> you know, they had to stay in business, and it was very dangerous. But, um, yeah, it definitely – yeah, evolved the techniques in, in a less street sort of way. Well, eye gouging is the simple, uh, not the simplest. It's not as simple as people think. I didn't mean to say it that way, but it's, it's more, I mean, it's there. there there's more um, chances for it. Okay. Uh, it's, it's easier to apply. That's the word I was looking for in, in, in more uh, scenarios. And it, it, it really is. And it, that right there, just, I don't care how much, advanced somebody may be if they're not prepared to defend their eyeballs their face you know um they're they're done uh you know it don't it, forget your arm bars forget your toe holds and all of that you know you get you get poked in the eye boy it's or you get you know your eyes you know pressed which it's you know it's not a good thing you know it's just <laughs> It's just not, right. you know, we were talking, I don't think you, I don't know if you watched the show last week, uh, special K, but we, uh, Joe ran into a guy that knew Rod Von and I keep telling everybody about his strength. And, you know, this guy was mentioning that Rod Von would just pinch his palm with the nerves. It just made him cry. It made him cry. It made him tear up. He had tears in his eyes. Well, see, I went through all of that with him, you know, where he would grab, he didn't, obviously he didn't gouge my eyes out. He didn't have to. Okay. But he would just do things, my ears, whatever, 
and it made you realize how vulnerable you are. And it, it gets to the point where you can't constantly be trying to defend all of this because, and, it, and this bypass is just his strength. I could do it to him. And it becomes, you, you, instead of trying to always defend, you just have to be in a position of control. You cannot allow yourself to be in that vulnerable range. And that right there changes everything because in traditional grappling and all these grappling tournaments, they have a pattern. There's a guy in the bottom, there's a guy on top, you know, and, and they feel comfortable. Both people feel comfortable in that, in that uh, range. You can't do that. As you should know by working out with me, Costa, once you're on the ground, you're, you should, you made a you're mistake. You're not comfortable. Right. You're ever. not comfortable. <laughs> it is you're, not a comfortable position to be in. No, right. not you're at gonna, all. You're going to get screwed up. Um, and then you're going to start realizing the answer is just don't go just don't go to the ground with somebody like us because you're you're asking for it isn't going to work out well. Fish hooking them alone, you know. You know. But really, I mean, and if you think about how many all the illegal techniques and all that that stop fights and they stop them for a reason, right? The guy can't continue because of a groin shot, because of a headbutt that cuts their face open, um, the eye gouge, and people's eyes swell up and they can't see anymore. It's because they work, right? Yeah. That's why they stop a professional fight because of it. Well, you know, I used to say this for 40 years, 45 years almost, with like with a guy like Rod Von. The only way I you'd have to knock him out, okay? You'd, you'd have to try to knock his knock him out somehow, right? Um, that's the thing. Uh, and you know, once once you get in it you're, this is not going to work out for you. You know, this is not going to be a good day for you. Um, so yeah, it's, then I, I tell you, I, I don't, I don't like watching a lot of this stuff because I see, because my mind is working in a different realm, you know, and I, I see all the openings and all the, all the mistakes because I have to take that negative approach as a coach. I have to look at the flaws in somebody, you know, I, I can't sit there and always brag about how great you are. That's not going to get too far if somebody, you know, does something to you. My job is to always look for your weaknesses and, and, and you know, bad stuff. That's what a coach does in any sport, okay? They look to capitalize, you know, uh, in baseball, for example. They had to shift. They tried to shift on, you know, guys like Ted Williams and stuff because they saw maybe here's a weakness for him. Maybe, you know, he's a pool hitter and, you know, football, same thing. You know, when – um. Bob Hayes, the fastest man in the world, you know, came up with the Cowboys. Nobody could catch him. So all of us, you know, he was like, he found the vulnerability. So the, the, the defenses, they had to have the prevent defense that was developed to, to stop Bob Hayes. So that's how I look at things now. When I watch things and I have for all these years, I see all the, you know, all the mistakes and openings and stuff with boxing. I was able to shut it off. I realized boxers can't wrap, right? So I'm just watching their head movement and everything, and, you know, okay. But with, with the MMA stuff, it's it's supposedly all-in type of fighting. So when I see all these things, and you know, oh, uh, no. I, it's it's not enjoyable for me for, for, for that reason um, because it is claiming to be basically – you know, almost anything goes, and it's not. 
You know, you mentioned MMA. There was a, a big fight last night, and it kind of segues into a question I have for Costa, and then also you, Tony. I guess I'll put it out there. But um, Conor McGregor had a fight last night, and the point about it that I want to bring up is, I guess he had, they had to get stopped because his leg was broke. Um, it got stopped in the first round. Now, they've had a couple of nasty leg breaks, you know, a couple recently, and just over history. I, I think you can find them on YouTube or whatever. Now, his his wasn't the result of kicking someone or being kicked, but I think he had been doing a lot of leg kicks, um, you know, in that round. And so your, your background, Costa, with Muay Thai, I guess, so one of my go-to moves, you know, and it's talking about striking again, was leg kicks. It just seemed like a safe move for me. You know, people usually don't defend down low. They're usually not conditioned for impact down there, unless you're really a trained fighter. You know, it's a good way to kind of you know, put some pain on someone right away and, and maybe take away their ability to move. But now seeing the risk, you know, if someone is trained or even if a fluke thing happens, like if it goes poorly, it goes poorly very badly. Like you're taken out of the fight. Your leg is destroyed. Um, do you has your thoughts? I, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on leg kicking for the streets? Um, do you still, like for me, it's, I'm starting to shift that maybe that shouldn't be a necessarily a go-to because of the risk involved. You know, like I might be able, I might break a knuckle punching someone, but I can continue to fight. Uh, but if I lose my leg like that, I'm done. Um, so a, I guess the question, question, do you, do you, you still look to, to deploy that? And then do you think there's a something in the way they're conditioning or failing to do with their legs that's leaving them vulnerable to these breaks? Uh, you know, it, it's hard to say. The, the the kicks that I've seen where the, the leg has actually broken, um, and I saw this mentioned by a couple other, you know, uh, kicking experts, at least on Muay Thai, um, the way they're setting their support leg, they're not turning their hip over, uh, and it changes the angle that they're landing on their shin, um, and that's causing the break. I don't know how much uh, that's actually true or not, but you know, from, from the outside, it might make sense, but you know, for me, kicks, I, I, I typically always avoided them in the suit situation. I don't want to be on one leg, even for a split second. I'd rather be on two. Um, if I'm going to lift my leg up, it's because I'm kneeing you, um, and the body or groin. Um, and I prefer an upward kick straight to the groin versus trying to slowly badge your leg out as if I have 15 minutes to deal with you right um so that's the big thing with the kicks especially to the leg i mean it's not a one and done technique um typically so i i, I don't see the use for it as much on the street uh or in a self-defense scenario i'd rather use something that could uh incapacitate you a little bit quicker um but the you know the, the chance of a leg break yeah it, i mean it's there no matter what you know it in tight quarters or in an, if you're in a spot where you don't really know your surroundings, you're walking down the street, you, there might be something sticking out that you haven't even noticed and you can kick that. I, I've seen people hurt themselves on, on stuff that are just sticking out of a wall, right? Um, I've seen Bruce Lee take somebody out with a double leg <laughs> into a bar, for example, right? So your surroundings pay, uh, play an important role as well. Um, so kicks, especially to the legs. Uh, like that, the leg kicks. Uh, I love them as a technique. They were always fun to do in practice, but to use them on the street, especially or self-defense scenario where you know your life might potentially be on the line, I never thought of them as a uh, a really highly efficient move. 
Yeah, it's interesting. And I think maybe I, and I, I'm coming around to that, seeing that now, but like it's, I had some early success with it. I, when I, I would get in the ring with some guys who hadn't been exposed to leg kicks. Like my only real TKO was a leg kick where the guy was just not conditioned. It ended the fight. You know, he just crumpled up, you know, he took one shot to the leg and he, he was done, you know? Um, and so I just felt like, so I, granted a trained fighter, it's a different thing. Like you're right. It could go, they can take it for, you know, they can take those for, you know, 20 minutes and they'll be fine. It's, it's like a cumulative thing for sports, but, um, but yeah, I'm starting to rethink that, that just because someone might, you know, the chance that now, I think that knowledge is disseminated enough for people for checking kicks and things like that, that it, that has shifted now where I think uh, I'm basically I'm reconsidering it and talking to people who, who have that background to see what their impressions are with it too. But actually, you know, kind of going back to Tony's perspective with the striking too. And I know, Tony's relayed a few times on this podcast and just talking to me personally about his street confrontations. And really, I mean, the kind of model he relays there is, yeah, it's really boxing mixed with groin kicks and knees and things like that. That's what you're going to want to go to. You know, that's the quickest way that kind of, you know, if you're, you're keeping their attention up high with your strikes and then occasionally able to slip in that groin kick, that that's your most effective. I mean, it's, I feel like I'm stating the obvious in some ways, but I think it's like an important reminder you know, sometimes we get so advanced in our techniques, we forget the, we don't think about the foundational stuff that you should be thinking about. But anyways, I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, but I want to get your, your guys' perspective on that. I've seen some of the world's best kickers slip and fall in the ring, right? Um, I w- I'm good with the cut kicks and things like that. But, and, you know, too, as you get older, your bones, sometimes, you know, you, they may get a little more fragile. You got to think about all of this. Um, but yeah, I'm not a daredevil. See, when I fight, uh, it's normally, you know, it's going to be a life or death thing here. So I don't want to put myself at any kind of risk. Now, simple kicks, um, fine. But yeah, sometimes you wind up, you know, you're doing a good round kick. That's fine. But if you slip and fall or the conditions on the street aren't proper and you, you anything where you fall or, or something like that, even um, beyond just breaking your leg, I just don't want to, you know, I want it to be a sure thing. Okay, uh, and that goes not just for kicks. That goes for any of my techniques. I'm not going to put myself, you know, uh, at a risk. I'll, I'll be a little more defensive, but not really like when I say defensive, not like I'm letting you do the offense. I'm going to be offensive, but I'm going to be defensively offensive, I guess, if that makes sense. I'm just not going to do any high-risk kind of maneuvers because um, for me, there's so, but I have a bigger arsenal to draw from than, you know, uh, let's say just a straight boxer or even a straight tie boxer or something. Um, so I, I don't, I don't have to worry about it. Now I cannot comment on the fight last night cause I didn't watch it. So I have no idea what happened. So it's got nothing to do with any of that. I'm just saying how, how I look at it. Um, so yeah, I just, you know, and, and true, there's many times, like he mentioned Bruce Lee, our Bruce Lee, the real Bruce Lee, as I like to call him, in a bar taking the guy down. You know, a lot of times there's just not, you don't have the room to do some something special, you know, something, even a round kick. There's many times where you just don't, you don't have the room. Um, I don't know what to tell you, you know. I mean, sometimes you do have the room, but sometimes you don't. You, know, you got to improvise, you know, you got to be a little well-rounded. I mean, typically always, you know, the basics are going to work best. And if you get really, really good at those, um, 
that'll solve your problems 90% of the time, if not more. Yeah, the basics, the the simple stuff. The, you know, uh, Muhammad Ali said years ago when I was a kid, I remember him on a television program saying, you you don't get knocked out by the, normally by the hardest punches. You get knocked out by the ones you don't see coming, right? Because you don't brace for it. So you don't, you know, any boxer can see a punch coming from way back here when you're telegraphing. It's those little six-inch punches that you don't see, right, that are coming out of nowhere or a weird angle that you're not ready to defend against. And that's really important, you know. Um, and like Joe mentioned, if you break a knuckle or something like that, you'll go on. You know, uh, you, bro- you, you get a compound fracture or something like that or whatever, you're not, you're not going on. And, and then what? Okay, then what in a street fight? Then what? Now you're, now you're basically almost helpless. What are you going to do? Um, I tried wrestling one time when my knee was blown out, all right? I had a bad knee. I couldn't do it. You know, I couldn't do anything I wanted to do. I had to give up because I, I couldn't do what I wanted on the top. I couldn't do anything on the bottom. You know, when you're injured like that, I mean, this is like this sparring. This wasn't like a fight, you know, where I could actually do hits and, you know, all that other kind of jazz. But and, and having a blown knee is not anywhere like a compound fracture. That That's bad. You know, that's instant pain right there. So, um, yeah, you just you – just, uh, you know, it's fighting, you, you know, you got to break a few eggs to make an omelet. You know, fighting is, is, is a tough thing. You know, you're going to have nicks and scrapes and bruises and so on. Let's just hope it stops there. You know, contusions, let's leave it there. You know, let's not go into having yourself damaged where you need to be hospitalized and, uh, you know, because it can happen. So you, you want to mitigate that as much as possible uh, in my thinking, you know, uh, but of course, see, I, I was a victim of, or I, I didn't get killed, but I mean, I knew people who got killed. I've been in, you know, Joe, Joe saw the area that I was raised in. He, he knows now he got a better appreciation of my ultimate thing isn't like what happened to Conor McGregor yesterday where he breaks his leg and the referee stops the contest and he gets wheeled out probably on a stretcher. With us in my life, it was dead. You were dead. Or you were left to fend, you know, somebody, you got to hope somebody will call an ambulance for you uh, and go through all of that jazz. So I, I saw it as, 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 since the time I was a little kid, how if things go wrong, you may not go home. You may, you, you could be dead as opposed to just losing the match, you know. Um, and no injury is great. I don't want to ever see an athlete get injured. But like I mentioned, I think on the Snap No Tap video series, you're still getting that paycheck. Well, when you're in a street fight, you're not only not getting a paycheck, you're not getting paid to beat this guy's ass or defend yourself. But if you get injured, you may actually lose your actual paycheck. If you have a job that you can't go to or something like that. Uh, or even if you defend yourself and the person turns around and sues you, you may, you, you got to pay for a lawyer, you know, and that could be 30 grand, who knows, you know, depending on how, how serious the thing is. So, you know, in a street fight, 99% of the time, it, it, it may end up costing you money. <laughs> you know, sure. you're lucky if it doesn't. You know, if you can just do what you do, you know, defend yourself and get out of there, um, then that's fine. But these are things people don't think about. And you definitely need your legs to get out of there. I mean, sometimes uh, running might be your last option. And if you break your leg because of a offensive maneuver you tried, 
<laughs> you just took out that option from yourself too, right? You know, you, you start go, you, you start on one-on-one, you end up at three, four-on-one because his buddies show up. Um, you know, at that point, you might not be ready to deal with that or the risk isn't worth it to even try. So you use your legs and get up on out. Right. Well, or you might I be like running it. from law enforcement. <laughs> well, I, I liked you because you, you had that striking background before you came to me, you know, you had a great instructor and so on, you know, so we could talk shop like that. Um, a lot of people don't, don't have that background or they, they dabble in it or they they're learning it while they're going with me. And, and it's a different perspective, nothing wrong with what they're doing at all, but it's, you know, just a different kind of perspective. Um, and, I, uh, you know, I can't speak highly enough about Costa, not just as a grappler or a martial artist or fighter overall. He's a great guy. Uh, he's just a better person than, than anybody can ever imagine. You're just a great guy. I miss you. It sucks. I mean, I'm glad for your life. I'm, I'm glad you're happy out there in Colorado, but it's Chicago's loss. It's Greece's loss. Um, you know, but it's my gain in life when I met you. I became a better person because of knowing you and you're always in my thoughts and, and that'll never change. Um, you know, so I, you're one of the good ones that I met through the years. That's just awesome. Thanks, Tony. I mean, I, it's, it's, it's been, I consider myself so lucky, uh, to get to train with you, uh, be your friend, uh, meet the rest of the guys. You, you, you know, because of who you are, you manage to attract, some of the best people around, right? You, Martin, Javier, uh, forget Jason Bender. Uh, that was yeah. my, my, that was my fault. Yeah. Forget. Joe. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tried to hurt him while he was here, but you know, you know, he made it back. I was hoping uh, actually oh. to have him on the show as a special guest, a surprise guest to have the two of you guys go at it a little bit, but he's actually competing this weekend. So he oh, he is there. nice. Yeah. Oh, he might be behind me with a chair WWE style, clock me. I I've got about five more minutes because I hear her pacing up and down. So I want you guys to continue on with the podcast because this is great to have Costa on here, Joe. So keep him on, ask him a bunch of questions, and um, but let let me just let me just brag on him a little bit. You know, the the saddest thing was when you know Costa was always injured, right? It seemed like that's how you were when you were with me, and you couldn't really get into top shape. So you were the greatest like one and a half minute wrestler I've ever seen, right? So yeah. for like a minute and a half, you're you're like, oh. oh. And then when I was in good shape, it was two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. But that's the thing, people don't get it. You know, you you have to be fit. Um, definitely. Oh yeah, you definitely have to be fit. And I mean, I'm saying more or less for uh, um, when you're sparring in the gym, that kind of stuff, where you're not going all out, you know. Uh, but still, you have to have that fitness. And here's the thing I tell everybody. I use this 10, 10% thing. So, like, if you can go in the gym nonstop for 10 minutes, to me, that means you can go for about a minute in a street fight, okay? Um, there's no science behind that. It's just my observation through the years because your adrenaline is going. People start to hyperventilate and, you know, whatever. So you have to have really solid conditioning. And like Lou Fez said, you know, they used to be able to wrestle in those days for two hours. You know, they'd go nonstop, right? Just, I mean, granted, they're not knocking each other out, but still, you know, that's hardcore. 
they're they had a level of fitness that was you know pretty damn good uh and, it, and it's not that they knew things that we don't know that's not it scientifically we're more advanced with the fitness and nutrition and all of that the thing is there's no reason for anybody to wrestle two hours straight that's the thing Back then, when they were putting on these shows and everything, even though they were works and stuff, they're still going. You know, they're moving. You don't have that now. Wrestlers don't do it. Boxers don't do it. Jiu-Jitsu guys don't do it. MMA guys don't do it. So there's 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 no reason uh, for us to get in that kind of shape. Okay? So uh, that's something to bear in mind. Try to get your fitness level way above uh, – any athletic sporting event right now. Okay. Uh, that's why I love boxers. You know, well, when I was a kid, the champ championship fights were 45 minutes, you know, 15, three minute rounds, even 12, three minute rounds. Now that's a lot. Okay. They're, they're really in good condition. Um, it's a different kind of conditioning than amateur wrestling, but they're, they're fitter because, you know, they go for a lot longer. Amateur wrestlers don't go 36 minutes. Right. Um, so it's, Fitness, fitness, fitness. On top of all your techniques, it's that fitness that you have to have. Definitely. And that's what always seemed to lack at that point because you were always injured. Your technique, your knowledge, oh, you you pick this stuff up like a sponge. You're very smart. You're very into it. You love it. And you love it not as a fan. You love it as a, as a competitor. And that's why even when your fitness was down and you, know, you were gassing, you could still, you absorbed, you watched, you listened, you asked questions. Now, you're the you're the, the best student anybody could ask for. You're the best training partner anybody could ask for, you know, and you're the best friend anybody can ask for. So, I, I mean, you know, you hit three three home runs with me as far as that, that goes. Um, yeah, okay, you're not Italian. So, all right, we all have flaws, all right? True. But you're Greek, that's kind of close. Close enough. Una fata, una rata. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, gyros and french fries. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, listen, guys, I'm going to run. I got to get upstairs. I love you, Costa. I hope love you, Tony. Yeah, I will. My love to your mom. I will. I'll, well, she doesn't. This morning, she's like, are, are you people still going to be living here? I'm like, who's you people, Ma? It's just me. She's like, well, do you live here or are you moving? I'm like, ma, you know, she doesn't even know that I'm her son anymore. And it's, it's a strain, strain thing, you know, very strain straining. And she sure. gets frustrated when I don't respond. I mean, when she, you know, she gets frustrated too. So it's a two, it's just rough. So sure. um, I told her I was coming down here in the basement, but I hear her pacing cause she thinks she's alone. And then, you know, like a lot of people, they would, they would panic. And in a way, it's a shame because even the nurses and the, and the neurologist and all the medical professionals said, it's a shame that Joe Cardinal's not here because then my mom would want to be alone. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, guys, I love you. I'll see Joe. I'll see you next week. Uh, Costa, keep in touch. Will do. Everybody out there. Uh, thanks for watching the podcast. Hey, the membership thing. We launched that last week. Joe, maybe you can talk about that because I've got to get upstairs, but sign up for this membership thing. It would help. Okay, yeah, I'll make the pitch. Bye, Tony. See you guys. See you.
Okay, he's off. But yeah, uh, to the membership thing, if you're still in the listening audience, I highly encourage you to sign up. It's it's the easiest way and the cheapest way to help contribute uh, and help us continue to do this. Obviously, you know, all, all this content is free for you, whether you're watching on YouTube or you're listening on your iPhone for the podcast, um, not to mention all the other free content and techniques that Tony has up on his YouTube uh, page. So if, yeah, just you know, if you want to support this, if you want this to continue on to have, you know, discussions with Tony students or other people that we come, you know, from the martial arts that are able to join and just, if you're enjoying this and learning from it, or if you just want to support catch going forward, every bit helps, you know, not everybody can come out and pay for, you know, a week of training or join the Tri-C, which is obviously kind of the ideal, you know, if you want your best bang for your buck, if you want to get in-person training where you can just go and learn from the man himself. That's the way to go. But obviously, you know, everybody's in different financial situations, but I think everybody who's a, you know, a fan or student of catch wrestling and what Tony teaches in self-defense, this is a way to, you know, encourage him to keep training and teaching and just support it. You know, it's doing your little part for it. Most definitely. And then, I mean, the best shape of my life was um, a couple of months of training where I was finally quasi-injury-free leading up to the 2003 uh, seminar that Tony had at Triton. Um, We were essentially doing the Lucky 13 expanded version. And I dropped like 40, 50 pounds of fat uh, within a month. Um, Could wrestle quite a bit. I could even take the impact from Bruce and Shoney Carter launching me. Um, it, It was just an amazing time. So... Yeah, definitely. Any, anything you can get from uh, Tony's site, sign up for the membership. I mean, uh, it, it's the best investment you're going to make in your training career. Yeah, and like I said, if you the entry level, it's just like I said, it's it's donation based. It's just five bucks a month. It's like a cup of coffee. It's you know, it's a minimum thing you can do to kind of send your way if you're if you're gaining some benefit from the content we're putting out there. And obviously, there's increasing levels where we'll have videos out there that you can. You know, if you go to the $10 level, you can get actual instructional videos. And of course, all of Tony's other uh, levels of, of training still available. But this is just a way to kind of, you know, if you can't do those things, but want to pitch in, it, it's, a, it's a huge help. So, um, you know, but uh, thanks again for all that. Um, I, so what, what are you doing these days, Costa? What are you up to training wise? I heard you, you said you're working with uh, local uh, law enforcement. Yeah, so I teach a, a Sunday class. Actually, that's where I was right before here. Um, so essentially, all of them are uh, Denver PD, uh, except for one that's Department of Corrections uh, officer. Um, so we go through um, a lot of controls. You know, obviously, striking is not a uh, technique that they are allowed to use, but you know, we can still modify our stuff how to control people, pain compliance even holds that don't do lasting damage, right? Um, and then basic wrestling on how to control a body versus, you know, slamming people on the ground, taking them out completely. So I show them a lot of that. And then plus, you know, we, we go in a little bit deeper into the, you know, catch philosophy and all that if they do need it. Um, but, you know, it, it what was really surprising to me when I first met this group was how little training these guys go through when it comes to it um just one example they're telling me when they have multiple officers on the scene trying to take one guy out they end up 
opposing their own force and keeping the guy up versus taking them down. Mm-hmm. One's pushing on this side, one's on the other. The, the training uh, is uh, very lacking. Uh, so it, it, it feels really good to be able to help them out. Um, and this group I've had uh, reach out and, and, and come to the gym maybe a couple months now, three months, and they're already using the stuff and, you know, they're loving it. So you know, they, they've become big fans of Tony. Great. That's awesome. Um, how did they, find, did you have, do you have a gym that you run or how did, how did you find so it? I, I don't run. Um, I, I, I used to um, work at a UFC gym, you know, just teach them kickboxing, uh, Muay Thai. Um, and then the, the head coach from there, a uh, really accomplished MMA uh, fighter and Muay Thai guy, uh, opened his own gym here. Um, he's a good personal friend. Uh, so I started training there a little bit and he asked me, Hey, can you cover a couple classes here and there? Um, and then we ended up, um, because of my work being so busy, um, and my time being kind of scattered throughout the week, I have a little Sunday group going, um, you know, so they teach BJJ. They have a amazing wrestling coach now there, uh, Veronica Carlson. Um, she's in the Olympic uh, committee. She's, you know, top notch wrestler, world class. So she teaches wrestling once a week. So I learned a lot from her. Uh, we have a judo Paralympian, uh, Dart Nian, um, who teaches judo there. And then Muay Thai is covered by uh, uh, Ali, uh, Coach Ali Hanjani there, uh, as well. The gym's called Limitless MMA. Uh, it's here in Broomfield. So it's five minutes from my house. Um, and, you know, I teach our stuff. Well, that's awesome. That's great that you're able to, like, you know, interact with all those different people from different styles and, and, and still spread the catch stuff, you know, cause that's one of my big concerns obviously is that, you know, there's such a small handful of guys who've, who've worked personally, uh, you know, for at the duration, like you have with Tony that, you know, know it very close and intimately to be able to spread that on. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's good to see styles like Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu and stuff, you know, they're so well established that, you know, the, you know, that the next generation is going to carry on, but catch is not in that situation yet. You know, and so it's encouraging to um, to hear that you you are sharing that knowledge and, and spreading the word. Uh, you know, because that that's again that's another thing that keeps it alive. Um, you know, it's a definitely big concern for me. Um, I was going to kind of go back to your observation about well the police um, about them not having the training. I, there's been a lot of discussion about that. That like you know, in some ways it's it's almost because it seems like they don't they're not allowed to have time and training for the, you know, the hand to hand and the physical stuff that they, there's almost the overcompensation, the reliance on lethal. They have to, you know, they have to escalate much higher than they maybe necessarily would have to. Is that what kind of the feedback you're getting from them or? Uh, quite a bit. But from my understanding is even the lethal part, it, there's not as much training as there should be. Right. Um, so the, you know, there's a lot of factors involved in that, but definitely having the, the physical uh, confidence, that you can take and control somebody down uh, would probably eliminate a lot of trouble and also having a basic understanding of how the body works and where you can really hurt them versus just cause a little bit of pain in order to get them to comply. Um, and that, that they just don't have that knowledge and they're not taught it and you still have to train it. You know, if I don't train something for quite a long time, I might have it in my head, but the body doesn't want to cooperate. Um, so it, they definitely need to, be allowed the time uh, and it probably be included in their work schedule, right? Like, Hey, you work 10 hours a day, eight hours a day, one hour has to be training. You know, you show up to, to work and your first hour should be, Hey, you're practicing 
how to put on cuffs on a resisting opponent, you know, de-escalation techniques, um, physical, non-physical, all that should be part of their everyday work. Um, that, that's the way I always thought I would run something like that if I was, you know, dictator <laughs> of the police. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it doesn't seem like that's the case. Um, and at least here in Denver, and from what I hear reports and just reading the news all across the country, you know, they, they don't have enough people, right? Um, so, you know, their numbers are dwindling. Um, so they end up working extra shifts and more hours. And, you know, you, you do a 12, 14 hour shift. It's hard to motivate yourself to, hey, I've worked all night. Now I'm going to go and train for another hour or two to, to stay in physical condition plus learn new stuff. Uh, it, I mean, that, that's asking a lot from a person, right? Um, so it, it'd be nice to see in the future, you know, funding going for their training um to help them out on that end definitely yeah it seems like it's kind of like penny wise pound foolish like if they were willing to spend the money you know in recruiting new guys and and allowing them to have the time like you said take some part of just a required training every you know at least a couple times a week if they can't do an hour a day a couple times a week just you know getting that confidence to visit it you know it would save so much not just in I mean, obviously the human costs of people, you know, either themselves or whoever they're, you know, the, the suspect is getting hurt, but also just, yeah, all those lawsuits and things like that. And like uh, even boxing, you know, we, we talk a lot about, you know, I've seen some videos on YouTube of, you know, people getting kind of overwhelmed in a street attack. And if they just had good footwork and stance, they may not even, you know, like I said, you don't even have to be offensively throwing punches back, but you could just move and evade, you know, and, and, and avoid some of the obvious, you know, like you, you wouldn't get blowed over, you know, you could avoid things. And, and just that alone, just spending some time working your footwork and drills uh, could just, yeah, save a, a lot of pay, people, a lot of pain. And obviously they're going to be, you know, at a much higher risk of running into conflict, you know, day to day. So uh, that's, it's awesome that you're doing that. I think, you know, there needs to be more of that uh, kind of, uh, dissemination of knowledge to that to the law enforcement you know i know obviously there's some cops who train like crazy personally but i think it's oh, all sure. they do it on their own you know they, they see the need and they do it on their own there's not like a systemic uh prioritization of that which is unfortunate you know uh because yeah i think the more knowledgeable they are honestly probably the less the less lethal a lot of times you know yeah, it's, it's, it's when you're untrained almost and sometimes being violent that you can cause more damage when you have the skill to control yourself you know um, you know, you can, and the other thing you learn is you learn to control your emotions and other things and, and, uh, because you're dealing with it when you're trained. So yeah, that's awesome that you're doing that. So, yeah, I mean, that's a great point, Joe. I mean, you, you get panicky, right? Uh, cause you don't know what's going to happen. Uh, when you have the experience, you don't panic anymore. Right. And the adrenaline dump that Tony was talking about earlier, you know, it, it still happens, but you know how to control it. You know how to work through it. Um, and then, I mean, everybody has gone with a spazzy first day white belt <laughs> and gotten hurt. I mean, there's guys that are up a level, uh, belts in jiu-jitsu. I know that they won't train with guys like that, right? They, or they don't let them roll and spar because they're all knees and elbows flying and, you know, hurting people by accident because they're, they're going to move the wrong way because they don't know the right way to move, right? Um, so an untrained person can be very dangerous. Oh, absolutely. And sometimes like, you know, when I've been on the mat training with, you know, the, the instructor will be like, Hey, let's just do 50% right now. We're warming up and someone who's new or has some ego, 
Like the minute they feel in jeopardy or they're in a position, they take it to 11. Like, you know, like it's hard to repress that, that urge of like, I've got to be on top. I've got to win. You know, it takes some maturity to be like, okay, I'm not going to go hundred percent. I'm not, you know, I can let this person put me, you know, in a certain position or whatever. And just having that. Yeah. So exactly. When you're new, you know, like you might be able to restrain somebody, but if you, if you're always taking it to 11, yeah, that's, that's, yeah. Whether you're training or in, in other things, because there's like, even in, in your life, like we talk about street con- confrontations where they're like, um, obviously your life, you know, some stranger or something you don't know, but sometimes there's altercations with, I don't know, coworkers or friends where you don't want to hurt them, you know, just, okay, something got a little out of hand, you know, but I don't need to disable them quickly. I need to measure my response, you know, and the only way to really do that is I think if you're comfortable, you've been there before and you can say, okay, I can, I can respond with like, you know, at 50% here just to control things until we can calm it down. Like you said, de-escalation. So, you know, even in what I'd call reality-based things, it's not always necessarily that you want to put the lethal, you know, like, you know, do the groin strikes and eye stuff that we talk about. Sometimes it's, you know, it's your neighbor or something that you want, you've got to see them. Right. You're not trying to break them uh, forever. Uh, Sometimes you just need to control them. Uh, Essentially what, you know, law enforcement should be doing to a point. Right. Um, And then also there's, you know, physical jobs uh, where those kind of, techniques uh, apply to as well where you're not trying to uh brutalize someone uh you know working security at nightclubs prime example right you're not trying to or you shouldn't be trying to hurt somebody forever you're trying to de-escalate a situation and move them out um and uh, i did that work as a as a younger guy in chicago and i saw co-workers just going at it with people that were drunk out of it weren't really a threat and all they knew how to do was brutalize someone. So it escalated instead of de-escalating the situation, right? A little bit of training would have gone a long way for them too. Cool, cool, cool. So uh, how's things else? What's going on with life? How's uh, life treating you? Things good there? Yeah, so all I do, it feels like, is work. <laughs> so I'm working a lot. Um, got a promotion. Uh, so I'll be doing a little bit of traveling with my with my current job. Um I'll be in charge essentially of all the service department in the Western States. So Colorado, Texas, um, Utah, Pacific Northwest, California. Uh, so I'll do, be doing a little bit of traveling with that, but you know, home base is going to be Colorado still. Um, no plans to move yet anywhere. Um, just hoping to be able to go on a, a not short trip. I would like it to be at least two, three weeks uh, and go visit Greece. It's been, gosh, two, three years now uh, that I haven't been. So, you know, my mom misses my kids. The grandkids are her life. You know, she oh, makes sure. me That's call. That's kind of tough being that far apart, yeah, from the grandkids. I have to be on video with them, with the kids <laughs> and my mom uh, at least every Saturday, Sunday, and during the week now that it's summer. Uh, even more if possible you know she misses them um and it, it's great and you know hard at the same time because i know how much it hurts her that she's mm-hmm. not seeing the kids all the time and you know i had tickets for greece uh for two summers ago uh right before covid hit so i purchased them before uh all the lockdowns occurred and i was thinking okay it'll be two weeks <laughs> they'll open back up and then uh um 
forgetting even what airline it was and we got the email and here's your money back and no flights out of the u.s going to europe uh greece was a full lockdown uh in, in greece i mean you know people here were upset of, of sometimes of how uh everything was shut down and all but in greece you had to send a text message to leave your house wow. so it was like a two three hundred euro fine it's and with the average wage there being six seven hundred a month um it's like being charged a few thousand dollars for leaving your house without your permission slip right um so things were tight there and uh you know so last summer i was scared <laughs> to purchase tickets and just sure. wait for the money to come back and not go so i didn't even make the arrangements and this summer now with the change in positions again it's going to be i just transitioning into that role um so it'll be be next summer essentially until i go just a segue because i think you know it's interesting for us in the u.s so my son's in thailand i just talked to him this morning and he was talking about how much how totally different the covid situation is there it's it's very interesting it runs very different from us uh so like when 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 it first hit here they were already in lockdown you know like i think in asia they're kind of more used to pandemics i shouldn't say that but they sure they know, they know the drill and they don't mess around so like he was in like you know before, i don't think we locked down really till like march or april of that year but he was already like in february is like yeah don't come into work we're doing it remote you know and um so they're initially they had no but now they're going through some a bit of an outbreak there kind of late and 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 the part of their problem now is vaccination like they just don't have the access i mean in some ways we're very blessed here that if you want to get it you can get vaccinated you know and i think we're we're benefiting from that but what's the situation so in greece are they how, how's vaccination going there uh I, you know it's hard to say i mean there there's the it, it's split you know half the country wants it and has gotten it the other half is against it you know very similar to here mm. uh, for that um, but it seems like everything is open now. Um, will they lock down again in September? Potentially. Um, I, I was always, it was always in my head, e- even during the thick of it in the winter, that no matter what's going on around, I knew that summertime was going to be free and open there because they need uh, the tourist income. Mm-hmm. So um, I have a couple of friends on the islands and all that. Everybody's telling me everything's packed. Um, there was an explosion <laughs> of tourism because people were locked down for two years. You know, they didn't get to go. Um, so it, it seems as if all of Northern Europe is uh, back on the islands in Greece. Um, so we'll see how that ends up um, affecting uh, things in the next few weeks. Um, if there's an, another outbreak or increase and all that, it, it, it's hard to say. But as of right now, you know, it's encouraging, I guess. Um, n- nothing too uh nothing too crazy well, that's good hey so do your kids speak greek not really no no it, it's been a, so my my wife is uh from here she doesn't speak greek um so all my kids would would listen to his english at mm. the house right they would hear me speaking greek to my buddies um or when i call um call back home but not enough to really be immersed in it um and, you know, I, I didn't do a good job there <laughs> to teach them. You know, a few words here and there. Um, but I'll tell you, at least on, on my end, um, when I was growing up here in the U.S., even though both parents were Greek and my dad, especially his English was uh, sea level. 
I should say. Um, I understood Greek, but I didn't have the confidence to speak it. Right? It was once I moved back home where my tongue came untied and I started being able to respond. I was always thinking in, in English. Mm. Um, so maybe if I managed to take them down, you know, before they become adults, but take them there for two, three months at a time, a couple summers in a row, that should help them to pick up the language. Um, but you know, that, 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 that remains to be seen if that's doable or not, but you know, it, it, it does get tougher as you get older, I think to pick up the language, but you know, their, their accent, when they do repeat a, a Greek word here and there, that's spot on. So that, that's encouraging. That's cool. that's cool. Yeah. I mean, it's a definitely like a blessing if you can, you know, grow up in a bilingual home, you know, kids get that, you know, kind of uh, stuff that people have to work their adult lives very hard at. You sure. kind of get it for free, but like you said, yeah, if only one parent speaks it or you know, one family member, it, it's, it's very easy to lose that, you know? So sure. um, cool. Cool. Well, I, I really enjoyed Cause I don't think we've ever really talked you and I, you know, like I think we're the ship's passing the night when I was training there, you weren't there and vice versa. So um, it's, and you know, obviously I've seen you through on the videotapes and we met at a one seminar uh, but it was super cool to actually get to talk and hear hear your background and stuff. Um, yeah, and I'm super pumped that you're doing what you're doing in Colorado and trying to spread the word and support things. So, um, yeah, uh, and I'm sure Tony would agree with me that anytime you want to be on, you know, you're always welcome back for color commentary or just, you know, whatever. So I, I sounds like you have a very busy family and work situation going on. So that may not be often, but yeah, anytime you're like, hey, I got some free time and just want to shoot the breeze and talk you know fighting or whatever that would be great oh, i'd love that anytime um especially if we can get together the whole group javier bruce well i don't know about bruce because i haven't even gotten a hold of bruce even through um through facebook or or instagram to even say hello there because he's really busy i know he's out on the west coast uh but brian martin if we can get the whole group together and do a podcast that'd be awesome too just well, to see like each other's faces group. Um, maybe grab Shoney. <laughs> yeah, Shoney was fun. Yeah, and we'll have to, we'll have to talk about because I know like he and Tony rolled a little bit, right? I don't think we want to talk publicly too much about it, but like they that you got to witness that, right? Oh yeah, yeah, I was there. So uh, and Shoney was there for the seminar in two thousand three, um, and whenever Shoney could, he'd come and train with us. Um, I also got um, once in a while I'd get to train with Shoney with uh, with Jason Bender. Uh, at Shidokan or he'd come to wherever Jim, me and Jason were working out at. Um, you know, Sean is a pleasure of a person to train with. Really talented, uh, really fun guy to be around. Um, so yeah, if we can get him around, that'd be great. Yeah, I mean, we had him early on in the podcast, and he was he was dynamite. Just a million great stories going. Wow. We should always have him back. That would be great. So but yeah, I think like having a class reunion would be good. Yeah. yeah but yeah bruce is at mia i think he's one of the last ones we need to get back on here so maybe i should make an effort to to really try and push for that i think he said he wanted to do it but again you know it's so much like you know when you nail someone down but anyways west I, uh, coast too even harder yeah um although we've had people from cambodia on, so <laughs> oh no way <laughs> yeah, yeah there's uh russell stutley uh the, one of oh his, that's where he is he's in yeah, cambodia. cambodia yeah Oh, uh, okay. Actually, I guess he he's yeah. If you listen to the podcast, but he's part of the national. He, he he's a boxing coach for their national boxing team, among other things. So he's a real fascinating guy. Um, just interesting background. So, but 
Well, like I said, again, I've said it a couple times, but thanks for being on. I think this was a really entertaining show. Really cool for me to get to talk to you and hear your perspective on things. And um, yeah, uh, hope to have you back soon, man. Oh, I'd love to. Anytime. It was really fun. Uh, it was great to see Tony again, uh, even through video, because last time I saw him was at that seminar uh, when I drove out from here to come and oh, see. Man. It was one of the first mm -hmm. seminars, the, the latest series that he did. Mm -hmm. um, and we got to see each other there, too. I was surprised to see Jason Bender there, too. Um, but, uh, hopefully we can, uh, maybe organize some more seminars like that and maybe bring them out here and you guys can all come visit me. Well, you know, I, I, I any time, any excuse to get to Colorado, like I said, my one trip out there, I was definitely impressed. It's a beautiful place. So, um, yeah, I think yeah, I can understand why you're staying there. It is. It, family, it, of course. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a blessed country here. Yeah. I love it. All right, dude, I'm going to sign off, uh, and you know, have a good one. You too, Joe. Thank you. Thank you.